Hey everyone, welcome to the Bursting the Bubble podcast. I am Pramit, joined as always by Andy, Ishis, and Rohit. Today we are coming at you with something a little different. We're going to be talking a little bit about the history of the NFL, a deeper dive into the basics. So if you're just kind of getting into football or more of a casual fan, then this is the perfect episode for you. Uh, it's going to be a two-parter. We're going to have one episode today that's going to go over the offense, uh, just the offensive positions, the archetypes of the different positions. And then the second episode is going to be a little bit more about the defense, coaching schemes, uh, game plans, and just more general strategy in football. Um, but that's for later. For now, we're going to talk about offense. So Rohit, why don't you take us into the rundown of a standard offense? Yeah, so a standard offense has 11 players, five of which are offensive linemen. Uh, so those are defined, and you must have one quarterback. So the other five can be split up into, th- these guys can be called skill players. These skill players can be divided into three categories, running backs, tight ends, and wide receivers. Running backs are the guys that you see that just take the ball when they get handed the ball and they run into that big pile of humanity in the middle of the field. A tight end is kind of a hybrid between an offensive lineman and a wide receiver, and a wide receiver is generally the kind of people that catch the ball from the quarterbacks. Now, the exact distribution, if you want one running back, one tight end, and three wide receivers, it's kind of widely seen as the most popular kind of formation, but you can definitely uh, mix and match however you see fit, whichever would make your scheme successful based off of your players. Yeah. Um, so I guess let's start uh, just going over these positions. So you talked about quarterback, offensive lineman, running back, tight end, and wide receiver. So the most important one is the quarterback. Uh, so. Let's talk about what makes a good quarterback. So obviously there's a physical aspect, but there's also a mental aspect. Uh, So let's talk about the physical aspect first. Um, Probably the most common one is going to be arm talent, which is just the ability to not only throw the ball far, but throw the ball accurately and make different kinds of passes to different kinds of receivers. Uh, It's something that you see really is one of the most physical aspects. most important physical traits for the good quarterbacks like Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, Lamar Jackson, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, all of these guys. Um, they all have so, different kinds of arm talent as well, which I think yeah. is important. There's no one set definition, but each of these guys have a different way of making it work. Yeah, and I think arm talent generally comes in two different categories. So one is just being able to throw the ball far. Um and a lot of these guys that Pramit just mentioned do have that, uh, Russell Wilson, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes especially. Uh, but I think a more important aspect is uh, being able to place the ball wherever you want uh, because sometimes you just have to read where the defense is uh, guarding your your wide receivers or whoever you're throwing to. And basically, you just want to put it in a position where only your player can get to it. Uh, the defense has no chance of getting it. And I think that's a more uh, more important aspect of arm talent, actually, uh, just being able to know where the receiver, uh, know where your player wants the ball and being able to place it uh, at a moment's notice. And like what kind of angle the ball has to enter, you know, to get over the outstretched fingertips of the defensive player, or if they want it low in a way so the receiver doesn't take a huge hit or something like that. So these are all aspects of ball placement. Right, and in the past decade, there's been this big shift from having your prototype quarterback being a guy who just stands behind the offensive line and just 
throws the ball rather than moving uh, an inch either direction. Whereas uh, nowadays the quarterbacks are becoming more athletic, being able to run outside the pocket and throw on the run. You know, before we used to have the Bradys, the Peyton Mannings, the Drew Breeses, those unathletic guys who just knew where to throw the ball at the right moment. But uh, in today's uh, NFL, we have the Patrick Mahomes, the Lamar Jacksons who can run around and create stuff out of pretty much nothing. Yeah, it kind of started in like the early 2010s with like Cam Newton, Russell Wilson, Colin Kaepernick, these uh, mobile quarterbacks. It just helps so much to have another athlete on the field. It opens up your game plan. It masks maybe a poor offensive line whose job is to protect that quarterback. It just helps so much to have another athlete on the field. Yeah, and it just gives the defense something else to think about. Normally, when you have these uh, these great passers of the previous generations, such as the aforementioned Tom Brady or even Peyton Manning, uh, these guys weren't really big threats to uh, run the ball for a good chunk of yardage. Um, they would just stand still in the pocket, uh, pocket being the area like uh, protected by your offensive lineman per se, um, and just uh, tear your defense apart by uh, throwing pinpoint passes. But uh, with these new era of quarterbacks, uh, you can say, uh, a lot of these are more threats to escape out of the pocket and run, uh, use their legs to gain yardage. Um, basically, you, your defense has to dedicate one person to always keep track of where that quarterback is. So uh, leaves one less person to guard your other skill positions. Yeah, and I feel like this whole era of mobile quarterbacks and guys who can run, it even adds another dimension to arm talent because now another thing that you should really want to look for in a quarterback is a quarterback who can throw on the run and somebody who doesn't have to be standing still to make like the perfect pass. So I feel like a lot of scouts, uh, when they're looking for the, their next quarterback in college or whatever, uh, that's definitely a factor that comes into play is how well they can throw while they're being forced to be running around, escaping defenders. Uh, and I feel like that kind of uh, requirement wasn't seen as a requirement as much back in the day when the quarterback was really just kind of expected to be a not an athlete, like Rohit said. Yeah, just um, to exp- uh, unpack that a little more. So most of, in the past, uh, quarterbacks were given a nice platform to throw. They could set their feet and then maybe point their shoulders and throw a pinpoint accurate ball. But like now, as we mentioned, you know, the pass rushers are getting better. Protection is worse. These quarterbacks are going to have to run. So if you can make an off-platform throw, uh, it just it confuses the defense while you're like running to the right. If you can throw to the left, and just something simple like that that uh, Patrick Mahomes is really good at, it just takes your game to another level. Yeah. It causes a, a lot of problems. Someone who can be a good quarterback while still running. Um, I feel like Russell Wilson was the first who really capitalized on having elite arm talent with both placement and accuracy and power while on the run. Um, or at least, I mean, in our generation, there were guys before that, what, like Michael Vick, like Randall Cunningham. But yeah, those I guys are like, more runners, though. Russell Wilson, yeah, they were more he's runners. A, he's a quarterback who can run, if that makes yeah. sense. And I feel like that's what everyone looks for now. Yeah, yeah like Russell Wilson escapes, but he doesn't escape to run. He escapes to buy more time to throw the ball. So that's definitely... Yeah, uh, definitely. It's an insanely impossible thing to do, but it's definitely something he's able to do. Yeah, he's yeah. a magician. Um, okay, so that was the physical physical aspects. Anything else you want to add on to that? Or should we move on to the mental game? 
the more important side of the yeah. football game. Yeah, that is the most important side, especially for a quarterback, because yeah. especially people coming out of college, um, they can look really good playing against lesser competition in college. They can seem to like throw the ball super far. They have great arm talent. They can juke defenders as a quarterback. Like they can look really flashy in college. Um, but I've it happens all the time. Like you see these prospects just bust in the NFL because their mental game is just not up to par. Um, reading a defense is probably the most important thing that a quarterback can do, uh, and that's what made the old timer old time greats like uh, like we said Brady and then the guys before him who have already retired. Uh, that's what made them great, and that is still I think the most important thing in a quarterback. One of the um, more like big jobs of the quarterback is to read the plays for in the huddle. So essentially, what happens is the quarterback has um, a mic in his ear. So either the offensive coordinator or the coach will discuss with the quarterback and tell him the play, and he usually reads that out to the um, to the offense. And yeah, the quarterback also has the ability to call audibles. Audibles are basically when you can change the play at the last second while you're set up. So this yeah, definitely so yeah continue they would they would look at the defense and then be like oh no this play that my coach has given me they have the the perfect defense to stop it so they'll pivot into another play and that is only possible if you have done your film study and you can understand different concepts and which kinds of plays succeed and fail against which kinds of defenses and like the amount that a casual fan or even people like us who've been watching for a good amount of time that we see happen on the field it's just just the tip of the iceberg. These guys are going into like huge film vaults and constantly watching film. So it's definitely an extreme mental mental workload. Yeah, and like when they're reading the play, uh, like before they're deciding whether whether the play they have in mind is the correct one or not, um, they're looking at p- pretty much all eleven players on defense, right? How they're positioned, um, what their leverage is. Like, are they looking to rush rush the passer? Are they looking to uh, drop back and play sort of some coverage or um, are, are they doing something completely like different, right? And there's some certain tips that you'll, you get from watching film, from learning these players' habits that like we, we won't be able to tell just from looking at the game, right? This is all just a, a, like Rohit mentioned, like a mental aspect, the tip of the iceberg. And one thing that's interesting about football is that it, each play is a set play. So unlike free-flowing games like basketball and soccer, where you know you can get you know fast break or transition points in either sport, it's not really such a thing. Each time the the offense is set up and the defense is set up, and they both get to you know look at each other, find out all their tendencies. There's a little break about forty seconds between each play for you know a cat and mouse game to occur, and that is when the games are won because you can find out weaknesses, trap you know, set traps for the offense, and so many more things like that. Yeah, um, the whole reading a defense thing is also like it's not unique to football, right? Um, the best players will have the physical ability and they'll have this mental ability to read a defense. Uh, one parallel you can just draw to basketball really simply is LeBron. Like, what makes him so great is not only his physical abilities, but his like photographic memory and his ability to remember what defense is doing, uh, what defense can guard, what plays on his team, and then just basically scheme around that to beat pretty much anyone uh any quarterback that can do this well is a quarterback that's successful um so that's the reading a defense aspect of it also you can also think of uh, another mental part of the game in like looking off the defense uh basically 
pretending to want to be throwing one way, but then at the last seconds pivoting to the other side of the field and finding the open man who has been uncovered because you were telegraphing a pass in the other direction. Um, so that's also, again, similar to basketball. Don't want to telegraph any passes. So being able to look off the defenders by misdirecting uh, the direction that you're looking at, uh, that's, again, a huge part of a uh, quarterback's play there in the mental game. Uh, all right, so anything else you guys want to add to the mental aspect of this? I mean, yeah, as time goes on, the job and the mental um, requirements for quarterback become more and more complex. And even recently, um, coaches in the NFL have come up with these, a concept called a RPO or a run-pass option which is literally where the quarterback has to decide during the play whether or not to run it or hand it off or throw it. So that's like the most mentally challenging thing like in the recent yeah um, that they've come up with. It. Yeah, we can, we can talk about schemes and stuff more in the next episode, but that's a good example there of just like the amount of mental bandwidth that these guys need to have, I feel. It's uh, yeah. it's pretty impressive. It, you, it's, it's almost like they have to memorize the playbook too at some point. I mean, everyone um, has to memorize the playbook, but they really have. But to they got they got to memorize like every every person's exactly. role. Yeah. yeah, the quarterbacks have the most important job as far as knowing how the playbook works and what counters what defense and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. and that's kind of where like an offensive coordinator or head coach could really help like sink or swim their uh, their their quarterback. For example, like everyone knows Patrick Mahomes is like this pr- prototype. He has all the physical tools, and now he has a mental game to back it up. But that only comes from being in a you know supportive environment. He didn't play his rookie year. He kind of sat behind a veteran quarterback in Alex Smith who'd been in the league for about 10-plus years and seen pretty much everything. So by sitting that entire year on the bench and kind of catching up to the mental game and having a very, very intelligent coach who makes reads easy for him, uh, maybe only having him read half the field, um, putting all the receivers on that side, simplifying his reads and stuff like that, these are things that an offensive coordinator and a head coach can really really impact their player regardless of how good the player might inherently be yeah i think uh especially for a young quarterback having a good situation around them having a good offensive line having a great offensive coordinator head coach that can make their job as easy as possible i think that is like the most important factor in a young quarterback's success uh and then just letting them adapt to the nfl play style because it's way faster and way more physical than the college play style um, I think having a offensive coordinator and a head coach that can support that and make their job easier, I think that is a huge, huge thing in terms of having a successful future. Yeah, definitely having that transition period and also the veteran leadership to kind of point you out the things that you probably wouldn't have noticed if you were uh, like studying film on your own or trying to read defenses on your own is certainly like a, a very key part in a young quarterback success. And uh, that's kind of why sometimes you see uh, rookie quarterbacks tend to sit out for the first, you know, four or five games of the season, just try to get adjusted. Because like Promise said, like this is a whole different game from college football. Uh, Like defenses are um, trying to disguise their coverages as much as possible. Um, They're trying to get into the rookie quarterback's head as much as possible, right? So you just have to be ready for that. And that only comes with experience. Yeah. Um, so quarterback, clearly the most important position. So it makes yeah, sense that yeah. they would also get paid the most, I think. Yeah. 
You cannot um, win in this league without a top, you know, a top half quarterback, above average yeah, quarterback. At least top half quarterback, yeah. Yeah. And um, if if you do not have a top ten quarterback, the rest of your roster must be extremely stacked. But if you have a top ten quarterback, they can really, you know, cover for deficiencies elsewhere. Yeah. Uh so Mahomes, best quarterback in the league right now. He just got paid like five hundred million 500 plus million i don't know over yep. 10 years something like that yeah, yeah something stupid and honestly like honestly might be under underpaid uh and give give it seven or eight years yeah people might might be getting paid more than Mahomes. so honestly this is a great move for the chiefs yeah they locked up probably the best quarterback for the next it very easily could be the best quarterback for the next 10 years um they just locked him up at the current price for quarterbacks which is only going up uh as the as time goes on i feel like the the asking price for good quarterbacks just keeps increasing so um who knows in 10 years this will probably might be like one of the cheaper deals for a good quarterback that's one team building philosophy another one you could do what brady's done his entire career which is kind of take a little bit of a discount uh i mean it is because you know he's plenty wealthy he's made he's had a 20 plus year career but over that career each time his contract is up, he takes a little bit of a discount so the team can allocate their resources to other players. So obviously, if, you, if, you're, if you're trying to have a good team, you, know, you don't want all your money to be tied up in the quarterback position. But Brady's able to do that because of his, uh, because of his wife. Well, extremely <laughs> affluent family. <laughs> yes. It's a, so, yeah. it's a light way of putting it, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think... One thing to bring up that's interesting about uh, football is the highest paid players aren't like almost they're almost never the best players. I don't think that's true for any other sport, basketball, baseball, soccer. Um, The best players in those sports are generally the highest paid. uh, But because teams recognize this importance of having a good quarterback, they tend to pay huge amounts to just good quarterbacks. Um, not necessarily the best in the league. And uh, I think that actually kind of screws with a lot of teams in the future. Yeah, just to read out um, some of the names that are among the highest paid uh, as of last year, actually. So you had like Ben Roethlisberger, Aaron Rodgers, Jared Goff, Kirk Cousins, uh, Ryan Tannehill, Carson Wentz. Uh, like some of these are like these guys are like great good quarterbacks above average at least but um there are some names below i i feel like drew Brees should be on that list uh yeah. he's not in the top 10 um there there are definitely some other some other ones that are not being paid the money they deserve yeah and i think that that another one to bring up now is this whole situation with dak prescott right he wants to get paid more, but he is the definition of like a middling quarterback. I think. I think he's a little um, better than middling. He's slightly better than middling. He's but he's not going to be enough to get the team to the Super Bowl, but he's good. As of right now, yeah. But like, yeah. the thing is, you cannot let if you let him go, you have to start over from scratch, which is why these teams are so hesitant and why they overpay for because. Dak Prescott is a rare commodity, and above average quarterback, there are only like ten to fifteen in 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 the in America or in the world, however you want to look at it. So he is a rare commodity. It's just there are rarer commodities in being an elite quarterback that will really help your team. Right, and they have so much time and like years spent invested in him and getting yeah. him accustomed with everyone that 
if he asks for 30 mil or 35 mil... He's asking for 45, dude. He asks for 45, I understand. But, like, yeah. even 35 is a lot for him. It's still hard to refuse that extra money. It's like some cost him. almost, right? It feels like you put yeah, so much right. effort into, like, building around him. And then he's been okay. So you, he, he hasn't been bad enough that you want to move on. But he hasn't been good enough to show you that, like, the team can win a Super Bowl with him. So, I mean, it's, it's a weird position to be in. And I feel like most of the teams in the NFL find themselves in a position kind of like that at some point. I mean, that's just because there are only so many elite quarterbacks, maybe five to five to eight. So the rest of the teams, all the rest of the 24 teams have to have to either build the crap out of the rest of their roster or just suffer through overpaying a middling talent. Middling. It's a great word. Yeah. I think I feel like that's it. I feel like that's how you have to describe him, though. It's it's such a weird. It's a middling situation for the Cowboys too. It's, yeah, it's whack. All right. So if quarterback is the most important position on the field, let's move on to the second most important position, and that is the offensive line. Uh, so there are five offensive linemen uh, at minimum. Uh, Ishis, you want to talk about the different kinds? Sure, sure. So there are five on- offensive linemen. The one in the middle is called the center, and he his job is to first snap the ball to the quarterback, and then he has to get in his stance to block the upcoming rushes. So that's definitely a difficult job to snap and block. Um, so it's um, and the center serves as a leader for that offensive line. So it's definitely an important role. Um, then the two players uh, to his left and to his right are the left guard and right guard. Uh, which are also important positions, but the most important of all are the tackles on the edges, uh, the left tackle and the right tackle, specifically the probably the left tackle, if you were to assume your quarterback is right-handed. They are the most important uh, of the offensive line because they are basically blocking the edge rushers that are coming on the blind side of the quarterback. So most of the time you see these guys lined up against the other team's best um, pass rusher, and they're locked in usually one-on-one battles for majority of the game. And these pass rushers are getting better and better, more athletic, you know, highly drafted players. So you need equally talented players on the offensive side to protect your $500 million investment at quarterback or whatever it may be. <laughs> I mean, that's true for like 1D, but... Yeah. I mean, like, or, you know, $200 million investment. <laughs> it's still a large investment. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and that's why you'll see players or teams, sorry, trade for premier left tackles. Uh, the most recent one being the Texans trading for Laramie Tunzel, uh, and I think they sent two two first round picks to the Dolphins. That just shows how much value people are placing on left tackles these days. And uh, I know Rohit's very happy with uh, the Niners landing probably the best or close to the best left left. Uh, tackle in the game uh, yes Trent Williams, Trent Williams. Yeah. now he's been out for a year with injury but when he's playing uh that man is scary to watch he looks like a villain his nickname is the silverback dude that's the that's silver a he's a gorilla just, it's so Straight fitting for him, dude. he's so he looks he, he looks very gorilla-esque it's yeah. terrifying to go up against him but it's, yeah. it's very important to have a good offensive line it just it it provides your quarterback with a little more time, maybe that extra half second they need to see their receiver come open, or, uh, you know, you can talk forever about their impact in the run game. It's just insane. Yeah, Uh, especially for, yeah, let's talk about quarterback before we move on to the run. 
Um, I think it's especially important for like young, like we said before, young quarterbacks, rookie quarterbacks, uh, who are just getting like acclimated to the NFL. Um, if they have a good offensive line to protect them from the defenders, then obviously they're going to feel more comfortable. They're going to feel uh, just better playing the game, and they're going to develop into better players. Uh, if a quarterback is getting hit constantly um, with because of a bad offensive line, uh, it just it stunts their development. And even if they if there isn't pressure on them at the moment, then they'll start to panic. It'll be like an internal clock going off, and they feel like they have to get rid of the ball because they don't trust their offensive line. Their footwork, uh, their mechanics break down. Everything yeah, it is breaks just down. bad. Some bad examples uh, of this would first most be Andrew Luck, who sadly had to retire last year. Um, he took a lot of hits with a bad offensive line, and eventually his shoulder basically just broke. Like it just. And he also had a lacerated kidney. Yeah, he had a lacerated I, I don't even kidney, know that man. That's insane. But that guy, yeah, that guy took a lot of hits because of poor offensive line play, and eventually those injuries led to him retiring. Uh, a lot of other quarterbacks, uh, I think maybe Derek Carr for like a portion of his career. Um, some of these quarterbacks, they just get scared behind uh, a terrible offensive line, and this eventually like or this causes them to just have poor um, uh, quarterback play because they're afraid of getting sacked. So they get complacent and they just try to dump the ball off and not look for deep uh, options, or they'll just throw it away before they right, get hit. Right. They don't want to get hit. Right. I mean, it's a physical thing, right? You're getting smacked by these, like, like Rohit said, a silverback. <laughs> Silverbacks on the defense, too. Yeah. These guys will come, come at you. So it's definitely, like, a, especially for a young quarterback who's starting in the league, it's scary. But Andy, you were yeah, saying? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think the best or worst example, uh, depends on how you see it, is Sam Darnold uh, example, with the man. Jets. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if you guys have seen the clip, but there was... He was. He said he was seeing ghosts against the Patriots last year. And uh, being as the Patriots are one of the best defenses uh, last year, uh, he just didn't know what to do. He just uh, was panicking all the time, didn't go through his reads, uh, tried to do the safest option possible. But that isn't really going to help when you see uh, two defense, two or three defensive players just screaming at you within the span of a second. Um, and he probably lost a lot of confidence that game simply because like he had no time to think at all he just had to panic yeah um and yeah and th- that's you never want to do that with a rookie quarterback or just any quarterback in general and a lot of players can impact the game and help their team be uh, win games and you know make a impact in the playoffs but with a lot of these playoff teams and teams that consistently uh, make the playoffs and try to you know are contenders for the Super Bowl it's always consistently um, associated with a good offensive line, an offensive line that gives their quarterback a lot of time to throw, where like such as the Chiefs or an offensive line that uh, creates holes for their run game, such as like the Ravens. Yeah. Yeah, that's run the thing we huge. haven't really talked about. Yeah, so the, their, other, their primary job is to block for the quarterback, but they also have to block for the running back. So when the running back gets the ball and is running towards the line of scrimmage, it is the offensive line's job to make sure that the defense cannot tackle the running back. So they'll push them out of the way, try and create holes. And you can really see the difference between a running back with a good offensive line and a running back with a bad offensive line. And I think you can take anyone who was running behind the Colts offensive line last year, which is, uh, again, a top five unit. Uh, They don't even have to be top tier running back talents. You know, you put anyone there, you put me there, I'd probably get two or three yards. But 
you put uh you put a very very talented running back in someone named Joe Mixon on the Cincinnati Bengals, and that that poor guy, he just had a horrible season because he had no one to block for him. So their first half of the season, first half and then the they season. got it. They got one of their key offensive line back, and he started going off. Yeah, so running backs are you know very well known players, and when they get success, you know they'll they'll get the accolades. But uh, you you'll see it all the time. These running backs will be buying Rolexes for their entire offensive line. That's what the <laughs> the current Derrick Henry, the current yeah. rushing leader, yeah. bought Rolexes for entire offensive line two years in a row. <laughs> and they'll because... they'll get them like uh like like grills or whatever, so they can yeah. Stay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> because those guys are literally writing the checks for the running backs. They're they're setting the red carpet. They're rolling out the red carpet, and the running back's job is to obviously a little more complicated. But they're they're walking on that red carpet, so they they need right. the offensive line red to do well. I love that analogy. Yes, <laughs> yes, that's good. Right, a lot of times there are um, cases where a uh, running back seems to be, you know, really talented and has like a nice athletic skill with and a uh, uh, nice running ability, but uh, he gets replaced in the next year. His backup ends up doing the exact same with the talented offensive line. So a lot of times we see that. Uh, I think a easy case to see that is with Le'Veon Bell. We'll probably talk about him later, but he went from one of the best offensive lines in, C- uh, in the Steelers to one of the worst, like we said before, on the Jets. And his production is just like, it's night and day. You can literally see. I don't think his talent has dropped off that much. It's... His, his offensive line game has just plummeted. And uh, because of that, his production has also plummeted. So it's probably the second most important position, uh, just offensive line but in it's general. Much harder, it's much harder to develop and keep a good offensive line because unlike a quarterback or something where you can just get lucky with one good draft pick, you have to have four to five solid offensive linemen. Uh, if there's even a single weak link, uh, the defense will be constantly attacking it. I know the I can speak to that as a Niners fan. Our four out of our five spots on the offensive line are very good, but our right guard last year was pretty bad, and uh, that that played a huge role in the Niners losing the Super Bowl. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo was under pressure from his right side the entire game, and down the down the stretch in the fourth quarter, the Chiefs' star defensive tackle Chris Jones blew up our right guard twice to bat down bat down passes. So even though the Niners had an above-average offensive line, they had one weak link, and uh, that led to our untimely demise. Untimely demise. I think I think the synergy with the offensive line is also a big thing in terms of hard to keep uh, like an offensive line intact. Um, it really helps to have five guys who have played together and kind of know how each, how like the other guys play on the line. Uh, that does play a very large part. You actually see it a lot when. Uh, somebody gets hurt and then they have to bring somebody else in and the synergy is all messed up or you have to switch switch the offensive linemen around. Um, so it just adds to the difficulty of having a good offensive line is you have to keep all five of these guys healthy and playing together. Um, so that's tough. But when it works, it is huge for the team. And it's fun to watch. You know, you get to watch good football on your offense, you know, huge holes for your running back, plenty of time for your quarterback. And it just... It's just they're they're a floor raiser in my opinion. They just they raise the entire floor of your team. And it's easy. Yeah, they do the dirty work, not not flashy. Yes. Um. All right, so let's transition from offensive line, just dirty work, hard working dudes, not flashy, to wide receivers who are probably the most flashy positions on the football field. Um. So 
we can talk about wide receivers in terms of some archetypes that we kind of thought fits uh, the general position. Um, most wide receivers fall into most multiple of these categories, uh, and the good ones pretty much fall into all four. But um, we kind of broke it down into four main specialties. So, Andy, you want to lead us off with the first archetype for wide receivers? Yeah, so the first one is a jump ball possession type receiver. Uh, basically, they have a very large catch radius. You throw it anywhere near that near it, uh, they turn a 50-50 ball into an 80-20 ball. Uh, these guys generally tend to be a lot bigger. They can go up and get the ball uh, where other shorter cornerbacks tend not to be. Uh, these guys are usually around like 6'2", 6'4", that area. Uh, these include... Uh, superstars like Julio Jones, Mike Evans, uh, Kenny Galladay, and the retired Calvin Johnson. Um, yeah, basically, you if you want to if you want to catch if you want a first down, um, you throw it to them, and more often than not, they'll come down with it. It's a nice security blanket, yeah, or not really a security blanket. It's a good option every time for a quarterback. You know, like oh no, my protection is breaking down. Let me just chuck it up to Julio Jones, and you know he'll probably come up with it, and I'll look good. So. It's always a good decision. I find it funny that you named two Lions receivers there. Just completely <laughs> non-related. I just find that funny that the Lions have had such good receivers and they do nothing with them. Not such good. These are the only two good wide receivers. I mean, these are two Calvin really good Johnson, receivers. Like, like Calvin Johnson's an all-time great. And Kenny yeah. Galladay's really good. So it's, it's He's an all-time good. Kenny Galladay's an all-time All good. good. Yes. He's no yeah. silverback. He's no silverback. Right, these go. These wide receivers are usually the most coveted that coaches want. Usually, the most consistent ones that can produce uh, yards uh, every year, um, as well as they open things up for everyone else on their team because their size and their uh, skill um, create a lot of um, problems for the defense, causing them to double team or just put more people on the side of the field that that player is on. Yeah, they come up with the flashiest yeah, highlights. They just out muscle. Uh, out jump. They they're I just can't the most. Randy Moss is not in here, man. Yeah. Randy Moss. Yeah. If you've ever heard, if you've ever heard the term, you got Moss. That's because this guy, he would just go up. He was six four, and he could jump out of the gym. He would just go up and just snag the ball over some poor defensive back's head, and then poor take guy. it to the house. And uh, he made a living off of that. So he's probably one of the best examples of this. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. I feel like in. I feel like when. When we look at uh, wide receiver prospects from college or whatever, everybody wants to look for a jump ball kind of guy, um, just because it it seems like they are they make the best pl- they they make the most highlight plays in college, especially because they can rely on their athleticism, uh, and they make like huge catches on lesser defenders in college. Uh, so I feel like they tend to be the most highly touted prospects too. And they also have the most attitude. They're the glamorous guys. They've they've been shined on their whole life and also one thing that's interesting about the wide receiver position is that it's one of the very few one-on-one matchups that you'll see on a football field usually it's like offensive line versus defensive line or uh you know quarterback versus the entire secondary of the defense but these wide receivers they're they're going against one cornerback usually that's guarding them and there are many ways to succeed but if you can just consistently out muscle outrun these are all identifiable metrics that teams can look for. They can see how fast you are. They can see how high you can jump. So if you can consistently do that, then the, it's not, there's not much more of a sure thing in the league. Yeah. 
All right. Um, so that's a jump ball possession type wide receiver. So let's move on to the route runner archetype. So, uh, Andy, you want to go over in general, like what is route running? Yeah. So if route, uh, if jump ball is more like flashy, I think route running is more type of finesse. Um, route running essentially is uh, being able to get to your spot in the least amount of steps possible or just completely faking out your defender and getting to your spot. Uh, I, I like to draw a parallel to the NBA with handles. Um, basically, you just want to get the other guy off of you and get to your spot, be open, and then make a play off of that. Um, I, I, it's, it's a trait that is, it goes underappreciated among casual fans, but I think us, uh, all four of us, do really appreciate the good, the good route runners in the game. Um, so some examples, uh, Devontae Adams, Keenan Allen, Amari Cooper, uh, the uh, Michael Thomas had one of the greatest seasons last year, and Stephon Diggs. Yeah, uh, another parallel you said NBA uh, relating to handles. I think that's a good parallel. I think you can also make a super direct comparison to just footwork in the NBA when you look at guys like Doncic and uh, like James Harden. You know, people who aren't necessarily as athletic as like LeBron or Giannis or whatever. Um, but they can just have excellent footwork to get around the defender or have you make a quick step back or a hezzy move or whatever to get to the basket or get an open shot. It's very similar to these route running wide receivers who aren't always the most athletic receivers, uh, but they have their fundamentals. They have their footwork that allows them to get separation from the defender. And it's a super fun watching him, like watching any of these guys break the cornerback's ankles or just consistently uh, like every yeah. time every time you put Devonte adams or keenan allen one-on-one i mean you can kind of book like if you really want four or five yards right there they can get open on like a quick quick route quick slant and this is a kind of skill that doesn't go away really with age um like the jump ball possession type receiver as they they age they do not age gracefully their uh their physical traits will decline but being a good route runner and being quick and shifty and that kind of things that doesn't go away, and you can see a lot of old wide receivers like Larry Fitzgerald, kind of who's been in the I league for, to say that, yeah. for like eighteen years or something like that, and he's still going, it's still going strong. He's still going strong. So I mean, it's just such a consistent, consistent skill. If, if you can really master it, you'll be a good wide receiver. Right. So this is one of your uh, another example of the chess game uh, with the one-on-one matchup where the receiver is trying to project that he's running a certain route. And at the last second, he's able to change it and completely alter it in order to fake out the defender and get into open space where the quarterback could throw him the ball. Yeah, and it's like it's not like necessarily um, like every every single uh, every single route you run is going to be like successful, right? But sometimes it's just about setting up your cornerback, like safe throughout the first. Sorry, setting up the cornerback. Uh, the defense. So say, for example, like the first three quarters, you always uh, fake to the left and go to the right on, on every single route you run, right? The quarterback knows, like, or at least thinks you're going to do that every single play. So when it comes to the fourth quarter clutch time, you uh, you fake till you go to the left, or sorry, you fake to the left, fake to the right, the cornerback hard bites, and, you just, and then you just go straight to the left, you go in opposite directions, and you're wide open. So it, it's it's a lot of mental game there, too. Yeah, and it's it's a lot of fun to watch. Uh, Ishis, man, you're gonna drop this this uh, comparison on us again about nah, that nah, 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 about nah, a route nah. tree. 
Nah. Well, you should talk about what the what the route tree. Um, yeah. So, right. A lot of times, um, when it comes to wide receivers, uh, a lot of people say, "Oh, this receiver can run the entire route tree." Essentially, this basically means that uh, when a receiver uh, breaks out or starts running, he has the ability to alter his uh, movement into any possible route the, that he can run. Uh, this way, it makes it super difficult to guess what the uh, wide receiver is, go, where he's going to go and what type of route he's going to run. Because a lot of times, uh, what cornerbacks do, cornerbacks being the defenders that guard wide receivers, a lot of times they watch a ton of film. And this um, helps them guess what type of routes the wide receiver would like to run in certain situations. So if a receiver has the ability to run every route possible, it definitely makes it really difficult to guess where he's going to go. Yeah. Borderline unguardable. So uh, let's move on to the third archetype. Andy, you want to go over that? I want to talk about toe tapping real quick. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah. yeah, These are are one of the most beautiful plays, uh, in my opinion, on offense. Uh, basically, uh, th- your quarterback throws the ball out of bounds so that the cor- the defense has no chance of getting to it. And the the receivers are running full speed towards the sideline. And right before they are about to go out of bounds, they just stop their legs. Dead. Like they just, their legs just stop, they stop moving. And then um, they extend the ball out and then they, they uh, tap essentially uh, to both of their feet in bounds and then just catch the ball. Like, it, it, they 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 get the ball in a place where no one else can catch it, and, and it's such a beautiful uh, concept to watch. If you if you guys ever want to go down a rabbit hole, uh, search up toe tap swag or uh, toe, <laughs> toe tap on 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 uh, YouTube. Yeah, uh, a great example of this is the dearly departed uh, Antonio Brown. <laughs> <laughs> he did not go gently into the good night, but he did oh, no, eventually. He when he when he played, this guy would be he had an insane chemistry with his quarterback, so he would be able to just at the last second when you know his quarterback Ben Roethlisberger was running around, he would just throw the ball inches away from the defender out of bounds, and he would just be running full speed, place a foot. He would need to get both feet in bounds and just be almost parallel with the with the ground when he's catching those balls, and uh, it's just a, a remarkable feat of body control, situational awareness, physical awareness. And uh, these guys practice all the time, but it's it's so much fun when it when it when it pays off. It's beautiful, yeah. I think Amari Cooper is very good at that. Uh, if you want to look at players who are still in the league, uh, yeah. <laughs> hey, Antonio Brown's coming back, all right. He's coming he'll back. Be, he'll be back. You really, he's back. gonna be back. You already got suspended, though. Yeah, but he'll be I back. Mean, that that honestly just means that he might get signed. Like, yeah. Some point. Now that they know his concrete punishment. No, no, that's yeah. not con- It's not concrete. Like the investigation. They, they can add that. I'm sure. The investigation's still going on. So, like, <laughs> so like, yeah. Nah. He's just you keep in track of your ex players. Yeah. Oh, one thing I want to like. Uh, the most important thing about uh, route running and. This ties a lot with speed and slot. And uh, Tony Brown was definitely like one of the best at doing this is being able to what we call stop on a dime, which is basically when you're running full speed, be able to stop still so that the defender continues removing in that direction. And that way you can change direction and run your, your route in, in another um, direction. So that's definitely one of the most important things. Yeah. So you actually talked about speed. Let's transition to the third archetype of speed. Uh, Andy, you want to talk a little bit about some famous, very good, fast wide receivers? Yeah. So, I mean, speed is exactly what it sounds like. Uh, they run past the defense. They uh, 
they uh, basically the quarterback throws over the top um, game breaking speed if you will uh, you run past the defense the the cornerback the safety and the uh, the your quarterback just lobs the ball over them and you catch it um, so pretty much the only notable name who has had any uh, any real results in the in the NFL is Tyree Kill and yeah that that's pretty much the entire list. Um, there are some notable players uh, up and coming. Uh, Marquis, uh, I don't know if Marquis Goodman is <laughs> up and coming, but uh, Hollywood Brown, uh, he's a uh, wide receiver for the Ravens. He he did okay, but uh, like, like speed isn't isn't necessarily a everything. It's not yeah, everything. It, it, to be a yeah, like yeah. You hear the phrase speed kills, um, but that's definitely not the case in the NFL. You need much more skill than just speed. Because these guys, it it feels like these guys are track stars playing football they're one trick ponies they can run really fast but like kind of we, we touched on with the route tree if you only have one route which is a straight run as fast as you can the defense can prepare for that and then they can completely take it away you'll be ineffective um but just because you have speed doesn't like all these all these receivers are fast but it's if if being fast is your only trait you're not going to go very far in in life you're gonna get drafted into the top 10 by some stupid team but um the, those teams just chase you know we don't go we don't have to talk about that talk about the raiders hey, like that hey, that was hey, the, 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 that was a, a 13 overall not top 10 so you guys are a smart team. oh thank god thank god okay um yeah so one of the most important things about speed wide receivers is being able to stretch the field so this opens uh more things for the team in terms of passing over the middle to like tight ends or throwing show passes, even running the ball. So it's definitely something that just makes the defense worry a bit about deep balls. One other thing I wanted to like um, just mention is that um, sometimes there are some players that um, come on a team as like punt returners or kick returners and then somehow like transition into wide receivers like Deshaun Jackson or uh, Tyler Deshaun Lockett. Jackson came as a wide receiver. Okay, dude. I mean, or what about Tyler Lockett? I, I tell you might be right about Tyler Lockett. Tyler yeah, Lockett, so like but... sometimes it does work, but like yeah, Deshaun Jackson like has made a career out of being fast. Yeah, like, like that's that's just speed. Like that's not much else. Yeah, but the, I mean, their their trick was that's very fast. that's few and far between. Yeah, it's few and far between. Like Tyree Hill, the only reason that he is as successful as he is is because he's also a very good route runner. Right, um, right. He's a good jump ball receiver too. For hey, he, yeah, yeah, he, he losses people consistently. So he's a very good receiver that also happens to be the fastest player in the league, which is why when these teams are drafting and they're hunting for that next Tyreek Hill, they go off the only measurable that they have, which is how fast is this player? Because they think, oh, if I get a fast player, this guy's going to be my, my new Tyreek Hill, my new toy. But uh, it doesn't work like that because you need to find a good receiver first. Uh, unfortunately, yep. for some reason, front offices haven't figured this out. If anyone is hiring, I will come and tell you this. To your face. <laughs> So, uh, consulting yeah. advice with Rohit Kassar. Yeah, a lot of times with the speed wide receiver, it mostly depends on how well the team can use them. Because, like, for example, Tyree Kill, the Chiefs, like, Andy Reid knows how to use Tyree Kill to his max potential, but a lot of times some teams just don't know how to use these receivers properly, and it just ends their career. Yeah. Ends up being a gimmick more than anything. Yeah. yeah. Or they're injury prone. They're almost always injury prone because they're, they're usually slighter guys, like maybe 180, 180 pounds. So they're taking this punishment from uh, these silverbacks, and they just, get, they, just get, <laughs> they just get they just get injured. Uh, John Ross has been injured pretty much his entire career. Marquise Goodwin, I can't remember the last time he wasn't on the Niners injury list. 
uh, now he won't be because he's on a different team. But yeah, anyway. All right, so uh, speed guys, you can almost kind of think of them as, I don't want to say fragile, but I feel like definitely more injury prone. Um, but let's pivot to the final archetype, which is the slot archetype. Uh, Andy, you want to talk about that? Yeah, so the slot position is generally a little bit more close to the offensive line. Um, like the, the previous three archetypes I mentioned tend to line up on the outside. So more like closer to the sidelines rather than the uh, middle of the field where all the where all the chaos is going on. Um, so slot receivers tend to be good route runners as well. Um, so some notable examples are the Patriots' entire roster. I think they they pretty much uh, started this movement, if you wanna if you wanna call it. Um, as uh, the resident Patriots fan here, uh, I'll I'll let you take this away from me. Yeah, I mean. With what Wes Welker was the first, and then they got Julian Edelman, Danny Amendola, uh, just kind of <laughs> scrappy, scrappy gym rats. Yeah. You just throw them in the slot, which is basically close to the middle of the field. Have them run intermediate routes. They're good route runners, uh, but they're not as physically gifted as the jump ball guys. They're not as fast as the speed guys, and they're probably not as crisp on the route running as the route runners. Um, but they're tough. Uh, yeah they're quick they're shifty they can find open spots in the middle of the field and it's a great safety blanket for a quarterback uh, to be able to throw the ball six to ten yards down the field and pick up the first down to this receiver who found an opening in the defense Uh, it's worked super well for the Patriots for 10 plus years Um, some teams have also found success they've uh, tried to adopt this uh, teams like uh, the Rams, they have Cooper Cup. Uh, he's kind of a slot receiver. He also lines up on the outside from time to time. Um, the Packers had Randall Cobb uh, act as a slot receiver. The Cowboys had Cole Beasley. Uh, it's it's just a, I feel like the best way to do it, think about it, is just a shifty guy who the defense tends to forget about, and they don't really put too much priority on defense to them. Um, so... I think it's it's an important it's it's a valuable asset to have on the on the offense for sure. Yeah, these guys can always get open, like you mentioned. Um, yeah, it's just really nice to have. It's pretty easy to find. I mean, I feel like there's one on every team. Yeah, uh, they may not they may not put up a bunch of stats because they're not going deep, but you know you can count on them in the red zone, which is like close to the end zone, to get open really quickly. Uh, get a couple yards when the quarterback is about to get sacked instead of having a play that ends up at like negative five, negative seven yards. If they get three or four yards, it's still a net positive. It's a huge positive. So having yeah. a good slot receiver is a, is a very nice tool in your toolbox. A lot of these wide receivers have different capabilities and different playing styles, but uh, a lot of times the scheme is such a way that you don't want your receiver to be in the same spot uh, every play. So a lot of times big wide receivers can come to the slot. Um, they can switch sides. So, the position on the field isn't necessarily co-aligned with the skill, but it's just something to keep the defense on their toes, mostly, to switch people around. Yeah, versatility is the new name in the NFL, also in the NBA. They're going towards positionless basketball. Uh, if you can get a, a good route runner who's also a jump ball, you know, maybe not as good as each one of those skills individually, then the defense doesn't know what they really should be guarding against, and it's, it opens up more things, so... The more versatile your wide receiver group is, uh, the more success you'll have. Yeah. 
All right, let's move on to the running back. Uh, just like the wide receiver, we have some archetypes. Uh, it's a little less diverse in terms of wide running backs, I feel. Uh, wide receiver, I think it's a... There's like four pretty clear ones. Uh, running back, it's really... You have big guys and you have small guys. Um, but there are sub-positions within that. So let's talk about the first archetype, Andy. Yeah, so the first archetype is patience. Um, these are very few uh, in the NFL nowadays. Uh, essentially, you get the ball, you wait for a hole to open up, um, and usually, like uh, the the defense will be impatient and want to to want to hit the running back, right? So they'll go through one of the holes, uh, but then another gap opens up, which the uh, which the running back just kind of darts through. Uh, the best example of this, and probably in all of history, is Le'Veon Bell. Um, as as Promith mentioned before, like this, he was really good back in the Steelers days uh, when they had a great offensive line. But now that he's on the Jets, like I, I don't think this style of play really really does well with bad offensive linemen. Um, and then another example is Frank Gore. Uh, Rowith, if you want to talk a little bit more about yeah, him. Yeah, this this man was my childhood. He came in like 2005. He had already torn both of his ACLs in college. So he wasn't ever the fastest or the, the, the best juker or anything like that. But what he would consistently do is he would kind of hop, instead of just crashing into the, the line uh, where, where the offensive line meets the defensive line, he would take a couple of hop steps, really read the, read the holes. It's called vision. It's a good trait to have, definitely. If you can hit the right hole each time, you can always you know fall forward, get three to five yards each time. Maybe sometimes find a cutback lane and go for 20. So uh, definitely having patience and vision is a skill that not every running back has, but when they do have it, it's, uh, it's really cool to watch. Right. Um, patience and vision is usually what separates the pretty good running backs from like the elite ones, the ones who can wait for that hole to open up so that changes like a two-yard gain from like a 15-yard gain. Um, in terms of patient running backs, they're usually not the fastest or, you know, they're usually not the fastest or the biggest, but they definitely... Uh, have the ability to change direction very quickly so that they can yep. find the right the most holes. Agile, pull if you will. Right, agile, definitely. Yeah, um, I feel like this kind of running back is the most dependent on the offensive line. Obviously, it, it makes sense, right? Um, it, it's no point in being patient for an offensive line that's not going to open anything up for you. Um, and we kind of see that with Le'Veon now, which is pretty sad. Um, all right, uh, let's move on to the next running back archetype, Andy. Yeah, uh, so the next one is a dual threat. Um, so running backs nowadays are uh, often assigned to do more than just run. Uh, they, they can be weapons uh, out of the backfield, uh, the backfield generally being like uh, the area where the quarterback is. So like a one running back or maybe another running back if, uh, if, the, team, if the team decides. Uh, but yeah, so they're just basically another threat. Uh, they line up as a wide receiver pretty much. Um, and the two best examples of this in recent years are Christian McCaffrey, who had himself a 1,000-1,000 year last year, uh, which is 1,000 yards rushing and 1,000 yards receiving. Uh, probably, like, I don't know, the third time. Third time, yeah. Third, third, time, yeah. third time a player has ever done that. So, like, it was a historic season. And then you have Alvin Kamara, um, also a very, very good uh, dual threat running back. Yeah, these guys are, are fantasy gods because, first of all, they give you those sweet, sweet points per reception points. But also, like, just to touch on CMC and Christian McCaffrey, um, 
what he did last year, like to get a thousand yards rushing individually is, is a, it's a career accomplishment for many of the players. And then to also get a thousand yards receiving is also like a, it, it, it kind of sets you as, you know, one of the premier receivers in the game, but to do it both at the same time in the same season, it's like, it's ridiculous. And the entire offense was running through Christian McCaffrey. It really allows a, a team flexibility because when that player is on the field, you don't know if the, the play call is going to be a run or a pass. For example, if you put Christian McCaffrey in the field and the other team, you know, gambles that it's a run and puts a bunch of 300-pound uh, linemen in. Silverbacks. Yeah, yeah, silverbacks to stop him. Christian McCaffrey can, you know, run a, run a pass route instead. And then these silverbacks will be, you know, exposed in o- open space by Christian McCaffrey's uh, jitterbug nature. So, uh, yeah, really having that dual threat allows for flexibility, which is which is why they're there. Yep. These uh, receivers, or I call them receivers because they are receivers, but they're technically running backs. Uh, these running backs are generally super difficult to tackle, mainly because they're so agile. Kamara is one of the slipperiest people I've ever seen play football. Um, it's impossible to tackle him. Uh, it's, so it's, it's definitely super fun to watch um, because they can just take a really short pass and just just break a bunch of tackles. Um, so it's, it's pretty pretty fun to watch. Right. Back in the day, I mean, a lot of most of your, your typical running back would be that guy who just run out the middle, your big running um, running back that would just run up the middle and get that three, four yard gain. But as the league has switched to, has become more and more pass heavy, running backs have basically picked up that duty of being able to catch passes out of the backfield. And a dual threat running back is something that's really um, special in the fact that they can, they have the speed and the agility to catch passes effectively, as well as have the strength to run up the middle consistently without getting injured or um, getting concussions or things like that. Yeah. So you talked about the running backs of old being uh, just guys who run up the middle. So that is our third archetype of running back. So Andy, you want to expand on that? Yeah. So the third archetype is bruising. Um, so this is, again, exactly how it sounds. They just bruise. Uh, they just, they just, get the ball, uh, run through some players, and uh, get get the chunk yardage uh, they need. Um, unlike dual threat, where they're, they're a little bit more finesse in that they get by players with jukes, spins, that kind of thing, with more agility moves, these guys will just run through you. Um, they'll, they'll truck right through you, stiff arm through you. Um, the best example, last year's king, Derrick Henry. Um, this guy was a monster down the stretch last what week. He did, uh, what, he did, what he did to end the season and carry that team was Shoot, insane. That was, Literally that every was play, crazy. you knew the ball was going to Derrick Henry. And in that playoff game against the Patriots in Foxborough, where teams have generally had little success, he comes in eight yards per carry, nine yards per carry. And he's just, he just falls forward each time because he's just such a monster of a human being. He's a 6'4", 6'3", 220. You don't want to, you don't want to hit that. Like, you gotta make business decisions and kind of like go for his legs but his legs are also extremely powerful so he'll just he'll just keep going uh these guys uh yeah they they take their dive into the center of the line take their punishment also deal out punishment of their own uh this is kind of what the running back position was like for pretty much uh, before the 2000s uh before it became so pass happy you would just you would needed one of these guys to take you know, 20, 30, 40 carries a game sometimes. Uh, but nowadays, not so much. There's still a couple that can make it work, but uh, not, not, not nearly as plentiful. Right. It's extremely difficult to carry the ball that many times in a game. 
um, and not and you know be able to do this consistently game after game without suffering major injury. And the m- main purpose of this and the thing that it, it accomplishes is um, it basically wears down the defense, being having to tackle this running back repetitively throughout the game, and over time it wears them down and makes it easier for the offense to um, take advantage of the tired defense. Yeah, and adding on to your point about like injuries, like as like results about like CTE have come in, like I think a lot of players are standing up, like they they don't want to be constantly like being punished by the defense, like constantly taking these big hits because it takes a toll on your brain. Um, but so these guys are still still do it to this day. They can they can deal out that punishment. Um, another another guy I want to mention is Marshawn Lynch. Uh, he was man he, for, for the Seahawks. He was. The ultimate bruiser. His name was um, Beast Mode, dude. Like that's, that's all. Yeah, it was Beast Mode. Yeah. Um. Th- he had a Beast Quake. Uh. Where he just ran through his entire Saints offense. I think that was like during a wild card. <laughs> uh, so yeah, yeah. Sorry. The entire Saints. He could probably run through the. He, Saints probably, he would definitely yeah. run through the offense yeah. too. Yeah, but that that uh, like the Seattle Seahawks fans were so excited that they set off a minor earthquake, and that's that's why that's called the Beast. Yeah, that was a major earthquake, man. Registered an earthquake because of how much they were they were screaming, those idiot Seahawk fans screaming for a good player. Andy, you put a mental image in my mind of Marshawn Lynch just trucking Drew Brees, and I can't get it out. It's too <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, but uh, I think Promise you put it out that these guys are the most, no, the least reliant on an offensive line. Do you want to maybe explain why? Yeah, yeah. So uh, the, the thing is they can take hits from anyone and they can run through almost anyone. So if the offensive line isn't that good, it doesn't really matter for them. Uh, They obviously won't be as productive as they would be with a good offensive line. But even if the bad offensive line is there and their defenders coming and hitting them, uh, these bruiser running backs are strong enough to run through them and still be able to get yards uh, even with a bad offensive line. So uh, it's it's one of the more independent positions um, and independent kind of players in the in the league. Uh, all right, let's move on to the final archetype, which is all around. It's kind of just all three. I feel um, somebody who is a patient running back, someone who can run and run hard like a bruiser, someone who can catch like a dual threat running back, um, and these are generally the best uh, the best. Uh, running backs in the game so just to quickly mention Saquon Barkley absolute monster Dalvin Cook Ezekiel Elliott uh, just some of the best all-rounders in the game Um, so before we move on to the tight end I'd like to just make a really quick kind of parallel to the running back and the center position in football Um, or sorry center position (laughs) in basketball yeah so I feel like uh, before uh, 2010 uh, running back was huge, right? Like Rohit had mentioned, like Ichis had mentioned, it was the big position. You had to have a really good running back, kind of like how in the NBA you had to have a really good center. And I feel like in 2009, 2010 was when the transition kind of happened. Uh, you had teams shifting from focusing on the run game to the pass game. Uh, and in the NBA, the center became a little bit less important position. Uh, it's just an interesting kind of parallel that I've I've noticed. And right, it's... and like the jobs like increased for a center where nowadays if a center can't shoot threes, he's not really considered uh, yeah, exactly. good. So like this definitely just is the same par- parallel as uh, the increased jobs for running backs. And with that comes an interesting debate on running back value. Just as we mentioned, most of these running backs kind of depend on a good offensive line, and they kind of also depend on a good quarterback. If the quarterback isn't good, 
there's no threat of a of a of a pass, so they know you're going to run the ball. So you can really load up and stop the run. So if a running back is so dependent on all these different factors, I need a good offensive line. I need a I need a good quarterback. Then then what's the real true value of a talented running back? And uh, it's kind of a debate that's playing out right now with these contracts. These players are thinking that they're really good, like Le'Veon Bell, demanding a lot of money, and then they they sub in his backup, and his backup does you know equally as well for a couple of seasons. And it it kind of sucks because these guys take a lot of punishment, and it feels like these teams are maybe using these running backs while they're young and then throwing them throwing them away in three or four years because you can just get another one right out of college that's you know fresh has the same skill set if you have a good offensive line so uh it's a developing argument it's uh yeah interesting definitely interesting um all right let's move on to the final position and uh it's the tight end so here we really only have there's really two main uh aspects to a tight end uh somebody who can catch the ball and somebody who can block. Uh, so Andy, you want to talk about the pass catching guys? Yeah. Um, so pass catching is pretty straightforward. Uh, basically, they're just a big wide receiver on the field, a glorified wide receiver, if you will. Uh, now, these guys are great at what they do, definitely. Um, I think they're more of a safety valve than any any other wide receiver, except maybe a possession receiver. Um, but yeah, I mean, these guys, if... If you catch it, if you sorry, if you throw it to them, they'll probably come down with it. Uh, notable names include Travis Kelsey, uh, Zach Ertz, and Mark Andrews. Yeah, uh, glorified wide receiver is a good way to mismatch, put it. Mismatch nightmare. You, yeah. They're too big for you know g- people who are good at stopping uh, passes like cornerbacks, and they're too fast for people who can handle their size like safeties and linebackers. So uh, having a good tight end, it's pretty. It's good for your fantasy team. Good for your real team. It's good all yeah. around. I recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> More consulting with Rohit. Yeah, great <laughs> advice. All right, so that's the pass catchers. Uh, the other archetype is a blocker. Um, so blockers are, I feel, pretty self-explanatory. You can kind of think of them as an extra offensive lineman. Um, their main role is to just line up with the offensive line and just act as an extra blocker for the quarterback or for the running back. Um, and it might seem kind of useless, like why not just put another offensive lineman in there? Um, but again, it comes down to the the chess match that is football, right? You have a tight end in there who, yeah, he blocks, but he still has a threat of being a pass catcher. Uh, it just opens up a lot more options to have a tight end in there instead of just another offensive lineman. Right, because you can basically fake the run, and this if the defense thinks it's a run, for sure they might come into the box, but after the fake, the tight end can pull away and run his route, making him much more open than having just a uh, drop back. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, one thing, uh, a lot of times um, people just uh, like think pass catching is way more important for Titans because these guys um, have more fame and like they're, they catch the touchdowns and people just know them better, um, like the Travis Kelseys. But blocking is definitely something that's really important in a tight end. Um, it's, in, in, in the league. You, in the league, yeah. It's definitely something that's extremely important in the run game and uh, opening up the pass game as well. So it's definitely something underlooked, but it's equally important. Yeah, same, I feel like blocking tight ends and offensive linemen very similar in the underappreciation factor there. Um, it's tough to name a good blocking tight end that is like only good at blocking. Uh, but it's a very important, important part of football is being able to block for your team. So um, it's definitely important. But I think the most important thing for a tight end would be a combination of the two. Someone who can pass 
and uh, who can be a good pass catcher and someone who can block, uh, like Andy said, a dual threat. Um, the biggest names are generally these guys. So, do you want to talk about it? I do want to talk about it because I know you want to talk about it. The love of my life, George Kittle, is the prime example for this. Uh, he's uh, he's an insane threat in the pass game. He currently holds the single season tight end receiving yard record for thirteen hundred and seventy seven yards, and also he's probably the best blocking tight end in the league. Uh, and that's just brutal for a team to to scheme against because what do you what do you do when he's in the game? You you have to pick one, and whichever whichever style of play you load up against, be it run or pass, he can punish you at the top of at at a very high level with the other one. So uh, this guy, another guy who's really good at this, Rob Gronkowski, he could he could he block was the anyone. Love of my life. He was the love. He, <laughs> he, he, yeah, he was uh, he was the previous avatar of Kittle. And uh, he taught he taught him his fun loving ways, and uh, these guys are just the best. I feel like they're also the biggest characters on the team, like Kittle, Gronk, Kelsey. I feel like they're all such they're just goofs, like all of them. Yeah, I think it's, frat, it's frat just boys. frat boys. Yeah, I know yeah. it's funny. Uh, but yeah, having having a, a guy who can block and uh, catch to the degree of George Kittle or Gronk. It's it's such a game changer. It's absolutely impossible to scheme against um, because the guy will either be too slow or too weak, and it's exactly. it's tough. All right. Do you have any last words on the tight end position? I think just like every other position, and even in every other like in NBA as well, it's moving towards versatility. Versatility is the name of the game. If you can only do one, then it limits the options that you have in every position: running back, tight end, wide receiver. Uh, so the more you can do, the more versatile you are. It's just the, the value is insane. Yeah. All right. That is a good note to close it on. Versatility. That is what the league is moving towards. Don't be a one-trick pony. Be a many-trick pony. All right. That is going to do it for us. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to support the podcast, check the link in the Spotify description. But... That's all we got. We'll see you next time. See ya!